0: From the first time you picked up your first film camera, from the first time you wrote your first script, on Performers Perspectives today, we're going to be talking about movies. Not only how they're made, but how they're great copyright disclaimer. Under section 107 of the Copyright Act of 1976, allowance is made for fair use for purposes such as criticism, comment, news reporting, teaching, scholarship, and more. No copyright infringement is intended. The audio clips used in this podcast are brief and edited, usually with narration playing over it or showing the audience a certain point. I do not own or claim to own the rights to any of this music. Therefore, it is considered fair use by federal copyright law. For more further proof on fair use, please refer to www.copyright.gov legislation slash dmca.pdf. If you need a request to take down the podcast due to any rights usage, please contact me and I'll get it handled as soon as possible. Thank you. Once again, welcome to this week's episode of A Performer's Perspective. I am Brendan, your host, and today I'm going to be talking about something that I know pretty well, and that is film. For those who aren't aware, I studied broadcast cinematic arts um, when I went to college. I wanted my specialty to be in film, so I guess I took some screenwriting classes. I took how to write screenwriting for television shows. I've taken a bunch of that stuff, like video production So I kind of have an idea on how movies go. Again, I am only 24, so I still have a lot to learn. So what I'm telling you today is all what I know. So you're probably wondering, Brendan, movies don't require performing. Why are you talking about this on a performer's perspective show? Well, I am glad you asked, because there is performance, you know, aspects to making a movie. Not just acting, believe it or not. It involves with writing the script and telling the story. And that's pretty much what humans have been doing since the dawn of time. Like, looking up at the stars and showing the constellations and, like, writing pictures on cave walls and stuff. That was storytelling. Storytelling has been told through music, through art, and thanks to technology since last... I don't even think it was last... Uh, century it was I think late 1800s is when the first films came out yeah so late 1800s was when the first it wasn't really film I mean film technology has been, a lot, has been around a lot longer than you think but not in the form of you know movies that we see today some things that used to you know give the illusion of moving picture which technically is what a movie it, it's what any video is is just a bunch of moving pictures just lined up in a sequence There used to be toys and gadgets that would flip pictures to make it look like a bird is flying in a birdcage. The idea of moving pictures has been around for a long time. But today I'm here to talk about, well, technically movies, I don't want to say since from the beginning because then I'd pretty much just bore you to death because there's a lot of history of movies since the beginning of time. I'm gonna start with at least one familiar movie, older movie that everyone is familiar with, and I'm gonna start digging into some like modern movies and a few movies from back in the day. So if you're ready, just get comfy, sit down. If you're working, eh, just keep an earbud in. I don't want to distract you from work. And let me tell you about the something about that pretty much every movie has, even some of your favorite movies, if you just pay attention close enough. So one thing that nearly almost every movie has not every movie is like this it's called a three act structure it's pretty much how the movie is made and as a screenwriter this is pretty important so the three-act structure is something that almost every movie has it's pretty much sets up the story for you know how our hero or protagonist is gonna reach their end goal usually act one it goes act one act two act three point of the three act structure In act one, which is normally the first 25% of the movie, so let's say the movie is two hours, for example, that little timeout perfectly. Um, The first 25%, which is the first half hour, it should be set up to the point where we're introduced to the hero, we're introduced to the villain, we're introduced to their stories, In the first 10 minutes you're supposed to find out what is it that they want. Like they always say, you know, I want this, or I wish I could do this, or someday, only someday, And then from there on out, you get, like, a setup of, like, what's going to happen that'll push them on their journey. Act two is the next 50% of the movie, which in the movie we just used an example of would be the next hour. The next hour is pretty much everything. It's, like, the action. It's the drama. It's the romance. It's the comedy. Whatever you want it to be. It is the main part of the story. All the action that builds up and leads to that climax, which would lead us to the third act, but we'll get to the third act in a minute. Usually in the second act, you see the hero peak and you see the villain peak. Normally, the second act ends when the protagonist is usually at their lowest point. Like I will be pointing out in two of the movies we're going to be talking about that once the hero is down, they'll know where to go from there. It'll make them go back up again and then it'll reach that climax. And act three is normally where you see the hero versus villain battle. It's where you either get you know it's where you get to see who wins or not even who wins it, it like that it sounds like a superhero movie logic but it happens in regular movies like the movie drumline for example like the final battle is a music battle it's not you know it's like the person versus their rival it's not exactly like you know ooh, fight to the death you know you know villain goes to jail type of thing just protagonist versus antagonist And then, usually once that battle is over, the movie has hit its peak. You saw what you wanted to see, and then from there on out, it just wraps up. Like, you get to see everyone's lives starting anew. You know, how everything has affected that character from that point on. And that's what we're going to be talking about in the first three movies, um, specifically, and how they make great examples. So, I'm going to be featuring one classic movie and two movies that just came out, literally within the last weekend or even week. So... Starting off with this first movie, we have The Wizard of Oz from 1939. Yep, The Wizard of Oz. Probably one of the, like I said, it's a real classic movie. It's probably, in my opinion, the greatest film of all time. The Wizard of Oz that premiered in 1939 was produced by MGM Studios, or also known as Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer. Um, and it was an adaptation adaptation, my apologies of L Frank Baum's 1900 children's fantasy novel The Wonderful Wizard of Oz. The film was directed by Victor Fleming, but he had left the production to take over Gone with the Wind um, and it features stars notably like Judy Garland, Frank Morgan, Ray Bollinger, Bert Laher I'm La- here. I am so sorry. I'm going to butcher some of these names. Um, Jack Haley, Billy Burke, and Margaret Hamilton. So the film is described as when a tornado rips through Kansas, Dorothy and her dog Toto are whisked away, whisked away in their house to the magical land of Oz. They follow the yellow brick road to the Emerald City to meet the wizard, and en route they meet the scarecrow that needs a brain. The Tin Man, missing a heart, and the Cowardly Lion, who wants courage. The wizard asks the group to bring him the broom of the Wicked Witch of the West to earn his help. Those are definitely obstacles, which also follow in place of any movie, really. Like, you need obstacles in order to jump over. The obstacle being, Dorothy's now in a situation where she has to get home going along this brick road she has obstacles helping the scarecrow helping the Tin Man and helping the lion along the way and not only that the biggest obstacle is just getting to the wizard in general and once she gets to him she comes across the biggest obstacle of all, which, believe it or not, is taking down that antagonist, the Wicked Witch of the West. I know my descriptions are not the best, and I know it could be described better, but hey, this is how I'm going about it. So to explain the story with three-act structure, um, is just gonna be like a tiny breeze through, because I don't want to bore you with every single little detail. So, act one, we're introduced to Dorothy. She says her want. And that's all described in the song, Somewhere Over the Rainbow. She's pretty much saying she wants to get out of Kansas. She wants to see other things. You know, she wants to go over the rainbow, per se. and And technically, by the end of the first act, she does that. Act 2, in my opinion, where I think it leads off, is when she opens that door. And, fun fact, this movie and Gone with the Wind, I believe, both 1939 movies, were both the first to use technicolor, meaning, you know, first color in film. She opens the door into Act 2. That is the start of her Act 2. That is what pushed her on her journey, was that tornado. And then she comes over all these obstacles. She finds out we have to she, she wants to get home that is now her new main goal and in order to do that she's going to have to go along literally a road with obstacles in it follow the yellow brick road 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 obstacles like flying monkeys and poppy fields and just getting to the person that'll send her home and along the way we meet the antagonist and the protagonist and all the side characters who come along to help oh, out. We're off to see the wizard the of the, 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 wizard. Wizard. the third a wizard act can be tricky because it does it's really hard to see where Dorothy's lowest point may be, personally. I think it's where she's pretty much trapped by the wicked witch and she's like crying her eyes out. The lowest point is that the main character is in danger. The main character, she is trapped. Her lowest point is her crying, wishing that she was home right now. And then Act 3 happens again with another door. Bam. The door to the witch's chamber opens and Dorothy runs out. That sets it up literally for the final battle between the protagonist and the antagonist. Dorothy versus the witch. And even though that's not the climax of the movie, the climax is where we finally get to see her see the real wizard and gets to go home it's still probably it's still the final boss battle type of thing that enters act three right there this is again in my opinion a film expert could probably tell you different and then third act we finally get to see her go home and then last ten minutes everything finally winds down pretty much the opposite of the first ten minutes so that's a take on that classic movie again You know, there are many different perspectives, many points of view, but we're going to move on to more modern movies. You know, we're going to move on to some movies that just got released, and I'm going to see if I can do just as good of a job with The Wizard of Oz quickly, obviously, I can with these others. So moving on to movie number two. Movie number two is the Loud House movie that it just came out over the weekend, August 20th. Yeah, as of me filming today is August 23rd. Wow, okay, yeah August 23rd, that sounds about right. It came out Friday, it is pretty much a movie from the Nickelodeon current series, The Loud House. Um, I figured eh, The Loud House is a pretty good show, so why not give this movie a chance, and it was pretty okay. Um. It was structured exactly three acts, kinda like how I, you know, am about to explain. Um. So if you don't know about The Loud House, it's about one boy, Literally, like, the middle child in a family with ten sisters and, of course, like, the two parents. And it's just them living their day-to-day lives. In this movie, however, Blinkin' Loud, the main character, has the Scotland of this family and learns that he's royalty. And it runs in the family. This film is actually a musical, as I'm about to demonstrate here. The song that I personally liked and chose out of this was called Ordinary Me. I'm, I believe the name is called I wish I could be someone extraordinary, but I'm just me. It's pretty That's much his ordinary. want song. like he you know wants to be special. He wants to be average. He wants to be ordinary or not be ordinary. By the way, this is gonna be a spoiler alert if you ever want to actually watch the movie. This is pretty much for any of the movies. I know I just went through the whole Wizard of Oz spoilers, but I mean, come on, you haven't seen the Wizard of Oz by now. It's literally like the first movie everyone sees when people say, you haven't seen this? So spoiler from this point on. Act one, we just said Lincoln says his want song. He finds out his sisters all have something, you know, special about them. Like one's a musician, one's a pretty much wannabe professional golfer. Not wannabe, but like aspiring. You know, there's a comedian, another is a scientist, like all this, you know, stuff that makes them great about like what they are. But Lincoln wants to find his thing. So his friend gives him the idea that, you know, his skills might be in his genes. So he wants to trace his past relatives and stuff. So they find out, you know, we're from Scotland and then that pretty much pushes them on their journey. They're going to Scotland that enters act two. They get into Scotland, and they find out that they're royalty, and that, you know, Lincoln wants to be, you know, the next Duke of the uh, land, I guess you call it. While along the way of him trying to be Duke, uh, they see their past relatives, like the gothic sister, um, her name is Lucy, I believe, she summons, like, the dead spirits of their relatives or something, and... They pretty much keep in contact with him on again off again. like Pretty much throughout the rest of the movie from there on out. That's an important notice because it's what helps Lincoln get back from his lowest point, which we'll discuss in a minute. The antagonist in this is a housekeeper who just wants peace and quiet. She's been looking after the house. Well, not her personally. Just her relatives for the last, I think they said, 400 years in the film. And she pretty much just wants to keep the house to herself like the house like the castle like the kingdom all that stuff so Lincoln to prove himself has to like tame a dragon or something like that and she has this it's like a crystal or something that's used to, like hypnotize a dragon and it makes Lincoln go to his lowest point by she hypnotizes the dragon and it just like fails So Lincoln is down, he's pretty much, you know, not allowed to do this or that. The family sets back off to America, and that's where the dead relatives come back. They pretty much said, uh, yeah, we were banished from Scotland, and all this stuff. Because our dragon went crazy, originally, and told us not to come back, and all this stuff. And then it's pointed out by one of them that, oh yeah, um, they might have been hypnotized by this gemstone that... ...was used to control the dragon. They're like, oh, wait a minute, that's what she's doing. And then that ends act two. They realize, even at their lowest point, they're going to go back in there and get it. And that's pretty much what happens from there on out. The final battle between Lincoln and the housekeeper results in Lincoln winning. Uh, The dragon's fine, and... In the end, the housekeeper is pretty much like banished off to like an island full of seals or something like that. You know, everything pretty much goes back to normal by then. It's one of those, you know, it has to keep up with the show, so go back to normal type of things. Like, yeah, things have changed, but not in a way that would affect the main storyline. Something the Spongebob movie probably could have set up better because, you know, fun fact, Spongebob was supposed to end after the 2004 movie, which is what it was set up to do. He becomes manager, Krusty crab, everything's happy. Nope, Nickelodeon's like nope Spongebob's our Mickey Mouse we're just gonna keep milking this crap until its titties run out of milk but either way Loud House movie recently comes out it's on Netflix it does three-act structure really good it's just one of the examples I've been using If three-act structure seems boring don't worry I'm gonna get through one more one that I just saw today actually and then we're gonna be talking about other different movies so stick around movie number three now this one i just saw today this stars ryan reynolds and it's free guy mondays am i right joe you said it guy don't have a good day have a great day this is a science fiction sort of action comedy adventure i don't know what to call it um it's a screenplay by Matt Lieberman and Zach Penn, with the story being by Lieberman. if I'm saying the names right, and it's directed by Sean Levy. So, the online game he's in, it kind of re- resembles GTA to me, personally, but, well, I mean, it's about, like, the robberies and all this sort of stuff that goes on. It's all about that, and what makes his character unique is when he discovers that he's this background character, which, in the movie, they have to wear sunglasses to see you know, like the power-ups and like the level-ups and all that stuff. Um, When he puts those on, what makes him unique is that he's doing good guy stuff while everyone else in the game is doing, you know, bad guy stuff. And then he becomes, oh wow, like um, everyone, including like his coder creations or so, or um the characters' names. I'm drawing a blank on, I'm sorry. <laughs> Like, they're like, oh, wait, this guy's not a player. This is actual, like, living artificial intelligence. This is a legit AI. And, like, yeah, like, he's an AI. Like, he's not a player. And it comes to the fact that his game is about to get deleted and they have to go on an adventure and save the world from it. Well, save his world, not the world. um, From getting pretty much deleted. Because, like, the owner of the game or whatever is making a new version of said game and it's... A way to do that and find the girl along the way. Like I said, um, I know I had mentioned this being three-act structure, but this could be also defined as a character arc-heavy story, where just like the movie Sideways, which is another example of one of these, it focuses more on character and, I guess, character development rather than, you know, hero versus villain, villain versus hero. It's about character growth and development. The movie Sideways shows about how a man goes from being odd, ordinary, and having certain standards to breaking out of a shell type of thing. This is sort of what Free Guy is about, in my opinion. It's about, you know, he's he's in this loop, this ordinary loop that he's literally programmed to do. And there's just that one thing that breaks him free of it, which is another in-game player who's like, oh, he's like, oh, wow, that girl's pretty. <laughs> and, like, she's, like, unique and all this stuff. So that's what breaks him of that loop. And he goes from being this ordinary, you know, happy go-to guy Getting the same thing for breakfast every morning to, like, pretty much a giant hero. Like, saving his world and creating this new world where anyone can be whatever they want to be. And personally, I think that's all I'm going to say about Free Guy. Um, That's pretty much, like, my mini-review for it. I-, I gave it an 8.5 out of 10, maybe a 9 out of 10. It was pretty good. So, I just say get out there and watch it, because... I have plenty more movies to go over, and this one's still new, so I don't want to spoil it completely, even though I kind of just did. I don't want to give away every little detail. So speaking of character arc movies, we're going to kind of move into number four. I'm going to say four. I want to say four slash five, but it's technically the same movie, sort of. Based on the same book. fourth one we're talking about is a mixture of Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory and Charlie in the Chocolate Factory these are technically two very different movies believe it or not even though they're like the same concept and stuff the 2005 movie is based on the actual book like Roald Dahl's I think I said his name right um his book like it is literally the vision the exact same thing like that the books are based off of like Tim Burton's like crazy like, you know, Nightmare Before christmas look. While the 71 version, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, even though it's based on the book, it really isn't the book. It is its own thing, and I believe it was made for marketing purposes, solely for the reason of selling chocolate. Like, this, like the 71 version was not the approving that the author of the books originally wanted. The sad thing is he... Like, trust me, I love both versions. <laughs> Each version has its different you know, uniqueness about it that I love watching both about. But the author had to die without seeing a version of the movie that he wanted to see, and I think that's a little sad. So to recap the story, we pretty much follow a sweet boy named Charlie Bucket from a poor family, has dreams of finding one of five golden tickets inside of chocolate wrappers, which will get him into a factory that he's been eyeing for years, which is Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory, which he finds it, and he goes on this pretty much adventure with five random kids uh no not five random four random kids but five kids in total um and it's pretty much you know hitting off the kids one by one exposing their greed and their brattiness it's to the point in the end where charlie wins the factory as a prize so like how i said before the 2005 movie is more of a three-act structure like it has like the room in it to be a three-act structure but i believe that the 71 version even though it has three act structure parts in it there's a character arc in there like the it's not like a traditional character arc like where you see a character grow up or change well i mean technically you do in any movie you see any type of character change from different from what it was in the beginning than what it was in the end i think the character arc revolves this is i'm talking about the 1971 this character arc revolves around Willy Wonka himself. That's why it's called Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, not Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Not only that, but like I said, the marketing purposes and all of that, hubba Baloo. But yeah, it's to the point where I personally believe Charlie changes Willy Wonka. Like, you probably heard this in an episode of, like, Boy Meets World or Girl Meets World or something. Like, people change people. That is the case for this movie. Charlie is warm-heartedness ultimately changed Willy Wonka for the better. And this can be said in both versions. In the 2005 version, you know, Willy Wonka is beyond disconnected from reality. He doesn't like parents or any of that stuff. He never spent time with his own family. Like, none of that. So, like, Charlie changed him in that way of, like, remembering family and what the importance of being connected is all about. This version, I see it as... You know, he changes Willy Wonka for not being as... I don't want to be... Like, he changes up his attitude a little bit. Like, like he gives him hope again. Like, even at the end of the movie. Like, he's like, I was hoping... Well, he didn't say... I don't know the exact lines. I haven't watched the movie in a good minute. He's saying, you know, I was hoping to find the one. Like, the one who will replace me. And I can have hope and restoring my factory for the future and all this other stuff like he gives him hope he changes him for giving him hope after seeing these four bratty kids you know stingy getting sucked up the tube you know cocky getting blown up into a blueberry greedy falling down a chute and i just want to say cocky again like smart ass like smart aleck you know get shrunk down to the size of a freaking you know like hot wheels car <laughs> Like, I personally believe that that is the character arc that is set there. Well, it's not character arc. It's, like, character development. Like, you know, it's, like, along those lines. Like, you know, the whole idea that people do change people, but you also need to believe. You also need to have hope. You also need to have imagination. That's what pure imagination is about from the first movie. Come with me and you'll be in a world of pure imagination. Hey Speaking of the songs, yeah, Pure imagine. I'm, I'm gonna put this out there really quick. Pure Imagination is a classic, but I, I love the music so much better from the 2005 version. Danny Elfman is one of my favorite music composers for film. Like... I used to listen to that soundtrack all the time as a kid. Like, the Willy Wonka movies, I used to watch them all the time as a kid. Like, I needed to do, like, a top ten list of movies I used to watch nonstop as a kid to the point where it'd probably make my parents want (laughs) to leave. (laughs) Yeah, like, I would listen to that all the time. Like, I, you know, I was, like, Willy Wonka obsessed back in the day. So, yeah, I love the music from the second one better. I could go on for Willy Wonka for a while. I'm going to keep losing track again. So, let's just move on to... Let's move on to our next movie. This one is a little bit more intense and this one this one's relatable for pretty much eh, not fully relatable, but kind of relatable for anyone who ever wants to be like a perfect musician. This movie's probably for you. I am talking about Whiplash. Whiplash is a 2014 movie. It's labeled as psychological drama. Hmm, interesting. Um, that was written and directed by Damien Chazelle. I hope I'm, I'm hoping I'm saying that right. Um. And it's starring Miles Teller and J.K. Simmons, a dynamic duo. Or at least, in my opinion, a dynamic duo. At least for this film. So, long story short, it is pretty much about the story of the obsessed artist there's another movie similar structure like this obsessed artist called black swan it's pretty much you know about you know an artist a musician or whatever trying to be perfect they're obsessed with being perfect with whatever it is that they are playing or doing so the story pretty much follows andrew neiman who is a first year student at schaefer conservatory in new york city And he's hoping to fulfill his childhood goal of one day reaching legacies like Buddy Rich being one of the greatest drummers ever. And then he gets discovered by Terrence Fletcher, who is the conductor leader for the Schaefer Conservatory Studio Band, which is like country's best jazz ensemble, jazz band, like does competitions and all that. So he pretty much gets discovered, is starting to live his dream, but then he realizes that Fletcher is a lot stricter and pushes him to his limits, and Andrew becomes just obsessed with trying to be the best to the point where it pretty much breaks him. And it's just really good. you got to see it. The performances in that movie are phenomenal. It won an Academy Award for a reason. (laughs) I admit, this is one of those movies where if you're a musician... Or even an actor anyone like I say go watch black swan too for anyone who dances or acts any of that stuff because that's where that falls under like whiplash is for, more for musicians black swan is more for uh, dancers and all that stuff like it'll make you want to stop what you're doing after the movie and go practice initially when I first saw this all the way through because I'd only seen clips up to this point I wanted to go downstairs and start playing my drums but it was two in the morning so i really couldn't do that now but th- th- yeah this is a movie that's going to make you want to practice even if you don't even play or dance or anything it'll, it'll make you want to do something make you want to do whatever you want to do best Just be per. It'll make you want to do that, but you also got to go back and realize, like, step away from things. You know, you got to step away from things so that way you're not going crazy. It'll yeah, drive you crazy, and you won't love the thing that you love doing anymore. It'll seem like work. It'll seem like a job. Like you'll hate it. But no one wants to hate doing things that they love. Which kind of transitions into our next movie type or the movie I want to talk about. Of doing things that you love or want to do, let's talk about Rocket Man. Rocket Man is a 2019 biological music fantasy drama. It's based on the life of Brit musician Elton John, like how I just said, or his original name, Reginald Dwight. It stars Taryn Egerton, who by the way provides all the vocals for the film. He does fantastic. Taryn Egerton is Elton John, and you got people like Jamie Bell as Bernie. Richard Madden as John Reed. Richard was also in 1917, for any of those who are like, oh, that looks or sounds familiar. Bryce Dallas Howard as Sheila, like the list goes on. It can be considered, a, yeah, it is a musical. Um, It's a musical of Elton John's music. Again, doing the th- things that you love, uh, turning into things that you hate doing. Um, This always can be said about famous people and the fact that they're milked for their talent and stuff this is another movie that somewhat proves that like uh, all the biopics pretty much prove that like bohemian rhapsody the dirt like all that stuff kind of proves it like in this movie elton is just number one after number one after number one record like being pumped out of it to the point where well it's not just the pressure of like touring and all this stuff that makes him go to alcohol and drugs excuse me it's well I mean because he's also a closeted homosexual in the movie so that also brings a little bit of pressure into it but you know in the end it has a happy ending because he ends up going to rehab getting help and all this other stuff I tell you the first time I saw this movie I did tear up at a certain scene specifically the one where he tries to kill himself because at that point i was going through rough periods in life and i'm like oh god why is this i don't even want to say relatable like like i mean but then again when you're that depressed you know i guess it is (laughs) but yeah this has this movie has great music if you need a reason to fall in love with elton john again this is the movie to watch Has great songs like I want love Saturday night's alright I'm still standing and of course rocket man literally titled after the movie and there's also Benny and the Jets and goodbye yellow purple like these are songs you can't like you know skip over these are like legendary songs from a legendary artist but still by the way I would like to dedicate this movie type to mr. Alex Duquette you know why Either way, let's move on to our next, I don't to say genre movie, type of movie, which I'm going to further evaluate on this type in a future episode, but let's talk about musical movies. Six, seven, right now what you should be listening to is chicago so it is based on a 1975 musical so the film was directed by rob marshall and it starred renee Zellweger, katherine zeta jones richard i'm sorry i mispronounced this name richard gear i'm sorry queen latifah and john c riley so it's pretty much about in 1924, Roxy Hart, you know, is watching Velma Kelly perform a song, all that jazz, in a Chicago theater, wanting stardom herself. But when she has an affair, she actually she doesn't accidentally; she purposely shoots her person she's having an affair with after he like insults her. And then she's in jail with Roxy, with not Roxy, with Velma Kelly in jail because Velma Kelly also did something bad. And it's pretty much their adventures of trying to get out, long story short. But it has phenomenal music, like I said, all that jazz, both reached for the gun. Uh, Cell Block Tango is another iconic one where they talk about, you know, how they got in jail. The reason why I chose this one for musical movies, it's not because it's different, but it just represents like a genre pretty well. Like there are a ton of musical movies out there, a good chunk of them being Disney movies but they're out there like into the heights just came out with a movie Les Mis Rob probably has not probably does have a few movies Fan of the Opera has a couple movies too like you can just find them out there and they're pretty good I'm still waiting on a wicked movie though I'm still waiting on an Avenue Q movie and a Book of Mormon movie Hollywood please call me I, I know these musicals inside and out especially wicked I will direct every single one of those movies Especially Wicked. Like, and if you don't believe me, here's who I would probably cast <laughs> in Wicked. I do. I'd probably choose Dove Cameron as Young linda and Ariana Grande as Young Alphaba. And then probably just recast Kristen Chenoy and, and Dina Menzel as the older versions of those characters. Adam Lambert, I think, would be a good Fierro, older one specifically. Maybe Tom Holland, a young Fierro, but, uh, I don't know if he can sing, though. (laughs) I'm like, he'd probably just look the part. Queen Latifah could be, um, Professor Marbell, I think her name is. Uh, Ah, like, I know someone out there is going to be like, you don't know her name? (laughs) I'm sorry, but I don't transition English that well sometimes. Like, I I made a whole cast list at once. I think I know how wicked should go. I know how wicked should go. I've seen it many, many, many times. But like I said, I can talk about Wicked for hours. I can talk about Avenue Q for hours. I can talk Book of Mormon for hours. But none of these have movies. We're talking about movies. I'll save those for literally the musical episode, which I think I marked down as episode five. Genre number six, I'm not really gonna stick to, mainly because, believe it or not, this is it's not my least favorite genre, my least favorite type of movie, it's limited, because I'm picky about it. But let's talk superheroes for a minute. I specifically chose The Dark Knight, um, I wanted to choose Deadpool, but then I realized Deadpool's like an anti-hero, not a superhero, I guess, labeled, even though Deadpool is the best, in my opinion. Like i chose the dark knight because i only like the dark knight spider-man and if you don't count ted deadpool then that's it but deadpool yes but, the, but let's talk about the dark knight which is long story short batman um i'm talking about the 2008 superhero film directed by christopher nolan this one stars christian bale michael Caine. Heath Ledger, Gary Oldman, and a few other familiar faces, but it's literally the story of Batman, like Batman versus Joker. Like we said before, this fits perfectly in a three-act structure. Maybe that's also why I'm not a fan of superhero movies. Like, it always has to be like, you know, hero wins, hero wins, hero wins, maybe because they're all kind of structured the same. I know not in all cases it's hero wins, hero wins, hero wins. Maybe just traditionally I think it's that way. Like, Infinity War kind of proved that point with, you know, the whole glove snap. And then again, everyone knew that was going to be a two-parter. So it was kind of like, you know, did the villain really win? Like, who here, when you think about it, really supported Thanos? I would have supported Thanos. Like, I mean, think about it. He was actually trying to do the Earth a favor by eliminating overpopulation problem. It's what happened in his world. But yeah, like, most of the time, it's just, you know hero wins hero wins hero wins joker on the other hand that movie okay i take it back i like joker too joker is probably like up there top 10 greatest movies ever just because it's such a psychological mind thriller yeah sometimes it is satisfying when the villain wins other times it's not like if i'm watching the movie or reading the script and i don't despise the villain then I guess they're really not a true villain. Like, I don't mean to put it like that way, but a true, like, villain, I think is someone who is 100% hated on. Most villains, however, like, they are just stories that haven't been told yet. They are normal people whose stories haven't been told. If you think about it, everyone on Earth has a story, has a life, has a point in life that they probably don't know yet. Like, no one wants to be the villain. Like, I can go back to that point with Wicked and the Wizard of Oz. Like, you know, life of... Or Joker, even. Life of bullying. Life of, you know, like, losing a loved one. Life of being down. Like, depressed. A disability. Something. Not, Not a disability. Like, you know. Something that would bring you down to the point. Like, you know, like... I'm talking about, like, depression as, like, a disability. Like, something like... You're fighting your own, like, thoughts. Like, that type of thing. It's something that brings you, like, down to, like, the point where it's, like... You're just steered on a different path. And your story was never told. Like, like your success story. Or your story of, like, wanting to do this. Like, everyone has a dream. Like, you really think the Joker wanted to be the Joker? I mean, maybe not at first... Like, if you saw the movie Joker, then you would know that he wanted to be a stand-up comedian. People just pushed him to be something that he wasn't. Or, well, not necessarily. Okay, bad example. <laughs> Let's go back to actually that idea of, like, the Wicked Witch of the West in Wicked. That Alphaba, who the name of the Wicked Witch of the West, didn't want to be the villain the whole time. She just wanted to do what was right, or what she thought was right. So, spoiler alert, in the musical, she was born green because, this is a big spoiler alert, the wizard did her mom. (laughs) She was green her whole life. She's been teased. Her father shunned her out, blamed her for killing her mother, even though her mother died because of something stupid, eating milk, flour, or something like that. She had always been steered on the path that she was nothing. She was useless. But then she finally gets a chance to meet the wizard, but it turns out the wizard is not what he seems and is considered evil. I guess you could say like he's the one turning animals, what she cares, what she cares real deeply about, like, you know, hurting them and like transforming them and stuff. So she pretty much goes against the wizard and he is one who deems her wicked. So it kind of just makes you wonder, it's like, was she really wicked? Like, the question at the beginning of the musical is, are people born wicked or is it thrust upon them? That's exactly the point. No one, I don't think personally no one is ever really born wicked. No one is born evil. No one is born evil. No one is born grouchy. No one wants to be the bad guy. The world thrusts wickedness upon you. That's what every villain that's why every villain story needs to be heard, I guess you could say. Like, it's nice to hear the other side of the story too, because then it makes you want to choose a side. Go watch Joker and then go watch The Dark Knight. You'll see what I mean. It's like, is the Joker really that crazy? Or, you know. I've been ranting about this for a while, about how villains like need the backstory and all this stuff. Let's move on to a different, you know type of development the next movie i'm talking about is one another one that i would just have on repeat over and over again I, if i could i would have it on repeat over and over again even to this day tighten your seat belt you nature, baby! that movie is twister this film, made in 1996, was a disaster movie, a disaster adventure film, whatever you want to call it, directed by John Day Bont. I'm saying the name right. It's a French name, it seems like. With a screenplay by Michael Crichton, I'm believing I'm saying the name right, um, and Anne-Marie Martin. Um, and it was produced by Steven Spielberg. I'm like, hmm, maybe that's why it's so good. But it stars Bill Paxton, Helen Hunt, And Philip Seymour Hoffman and it's I think it's a really good movie I think it's because of the chemistry within the characters like if you want to learn about character chemistry watch this movie like the character like budding romance between Bill and Joe is just phenomenal that and it has like freaking tornadoes in it like who wouldn't want like if you want to watch tornadoes you do it from the safety of your living room not from Kansas itself (laughs) long story short it the movie starts with a flashback per se in 1969 joe's character she experiences a tornado for the first time which ends up killing her father like the most powerful one like an ef5 ends up killing her father the rest of the movie takes place oof what x amount of years later well 96 69 that's what 26 years later almost 30 something like that Either way, now she's chasing storms. She's obsessed with chasing storms, and Bill is her ex-husband. Uh, while he's there trying to get divorce papers signed, she, he gets ended up being pulled into like her storm chasing and stuff. It just develops into this. It's not even a rom-com. It's it's like how we said. It's like an epic disaster adventure type of thing. Like it has like I said, everything it has the romance. It has the action. It has the drama. It's just a really good movie this is just one that personally interested me as an adult now i can get the jokes and have a good laugh as a kid i was into it for like the action i'm like wow i'm gonna make a movie just like that like this is a movie i personally believe you cannot remake nor should you it also has a kick-ass soundtrack like eddie van not just eddie van halen like the band van halen like sammy hagar era van halen does a song called humans being and it kicks ass on the soundtrack. It's a really good song to listen to. This is also another movie I know that has a theme park attraction, or did at least. And had a theme park attraction at Universal Studios where you would be able to experience a scene from the film, like a tornado and stuff, wind blowing around and all that. But I believe it's since been shut down, so you really cannot enjoy it right now. Yeah, you can't. <laughs> if it's shut down, clearly. Quickly now, let's move on to this is a biggie. So yeah, let's get right into it. Like again, Twister, really good movie. Go see it. But for now, again, I can talk about it forever. But I'm just trying to get through everything quickly. This this next part's a biggie, so hold your horses. We talk about sagas Two of them Specific ones that I'm using Are going to be Star Wars and Pirates of the Caribbean Which we'll transition To the next type after that So let's talk about Star Wars first Which is probably the more popular of the two So I'm going to get the overrated Out of the way between the two And then Pirates which I think is underrated of the two I'll get talking. So Star Wars, as we all know, Mark Hamill, Daisy Ridley, Ian McGregor, all those names, those common household names came from Star Wars. Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, Adam Driver. Those are all names that came from Star Wars, all directed by George Lucas. Like, that was his creation. Like, you can't deny that all that stuff is, like, legendary. You know how you used to say, like, Star Wars trilogy? or Pirates trilogy, well, yeah, now you don't anymore because there's too many movies for it to be a trilogy. It's now a saga. What I find interesting about sagas is that they last, it makes this franchise last for generations and each generation has its own different version of this whatever saga. We're taking Star Wars again, for example. You know, like the 70s, 80s people had Star Wars, like the original trilogy, episodes four through six, The 90s, 2000s kind of had the prequels, even though debatable if they were just as good as not. Personally, I think number three is the best film. Now, like 2010s, upcoming 2020s are getting things like the sequel series and what's now, like the Mandalorian and all that stuff. It's just like these sagas are going to go on forever. Going into Pirates of the Caribbean, it's the same thing, sort of. New generations are introduced to Jack Sparrow in different ways. The 2000s had Pirates 1 through 3, with Curse of the Black Pearl, Dead Man's Chest, and At World's End, while 2010s was introduced via Stranger Tides and Dead Man Tell No Tales. And the sixth film that's supposed to be coming out, which, unless it has Johnny Depp in it, I will not be watching, is to be determined. That's what I think makes those films so great, is that they just last on forever generations and generations to come it's kind of like sesame street where it's been around for so long it's just a generational thing and everyone has their own different generation i mean pirates is kind of making its way there but then again at the same time when you think about it pirates of the caribbean was a ride before a movie so technically could count as a generational thing some people are like oh pirates like the ride like okay can we also talk about how great the music and the soundtrack is to both of these um sagas too like, holy crap. Like, this is stuff that I would listen to on, re- like, repeat for hours while, like, studying and writing back in college. But since we're on a topic of something related to Disney, let's move on to our last genre type of movie. Which are Disney it's movies. It's even though the sound of it is something quite atrocious. Yes, if I'm counting Disney it, as a genre, Just you know solely because i want to <laughs> so disney films short films have been around for the longest time probably what mickey mouse was like what 1929 so it's coming up on 100 years now wow so i'm going to talk about a few different disney films today um just including some content from others I just recently watched the film Saving Mr. Banks, so I guess Mary Poppins is going to be mentioned quite a bit. You know, we're going to start with Mary Poppins, even though I can give a quick, brief history up until Mary Poppins. You know, first full-length animated film, Snow White, 1939. Correction, 1937. Cinderella, Peter Pan, Dumbo, Pinocchio. All those movies came after. And then along came Mary Poppins, starring Julie Andrews and Dick Van Dyke, originally written by Miss P. L. Travers the whole thing was pretty much produced by Walt Disney himself, who had made points pretty much that, you know, when he goes after... Well, he'd been going after Mary Poppins for years. Roughly 20 years it took him to get the rights to Mary Poppins. And he pretty much had to go out and make the point that, you know, like he doesn't want Mary Poppins for the money. He never really wanted any of that stuff for the money. He wants it so that way, you know... He can share the stories, so that way he can bring happiness. It's not to... Another building block in his empire, which this is going to, you know, get into later versions, watch. (laughs) Um, It's not to get a building block into his empire. It's to tell stories, like, you know, make people happy and all this stuff, you know. He wanted the world to see imagination for what it is. He wanted, you know the pages off of this book that this lady wrote to just fly off and onto the screen for everyone to see. And I think that was what made earlier Disney movies so great, is that he just wanted to do it for the magic. He didn't want to do it for money. He didn't see it as a quick cash grab. He just wanted to make people's day. He just wanted to, you know, if he got you to smile, I'm pretty sure it would have made his day. But still, I mentioned Mary Poppins because that that, that was probably, I think, his best, like, you know film of his era like mary poppins it just has like all like the good little aspects not only like of course like the structure the third act structure but like it has animation it has music it has you know like character development and chemistry it's just it's just brilliant and it makes the whole family happy like it has a little something for everyone but here's where i start to get skeptical what happened to disney after that I mean, Walt Disney passed away in the late 60s, so you would think that they would have kept his legacy going, right? Well, Disney kind of stayed quiet throughout the 70s and kind of into the 80s, didn't they? And then along came, uh, I'm going to say the Little Mermaid was the thing that really got him back into making movies. I mean, they had, like, some gems along the way, like the Fox and the Hound, Lady and the Tramp. I mean, we could argue Muppets, but Muppets wasn't acquired by Disney yet. Yeah, like, remember when I talked about cash grabbing and all that stuff? Like, he wasn't in it for cash grabbing? He wasn't. But let's talk about modern-day Disney, hmm? And not just modern-day Disney, modern-day everything. Like, why do you think all these movies keep getting reboots and all this stuff? Like, why do you think, you know, nothing has as much soul anymore? Like, nothing has as much magic. I mean... Again, Disney has good gems like *The Lion King*, *Monsters, Inc.*, *The Incredibles*. *Lilo and Stitch* was definitely one of my favorites, but I still feel like that there's like some sort of magic missing from them. Like you know, like it's not—I don't want to say it's like old—it's missing its old-school like hint. But I'm sorry if my voice is starting to go out. I've never talked for <laughs> this long without taking a break. <laughs> Interestingly enough. Yeah, like it seems like nowadays it's like everything's for like a quick cash grab. Like like there is probably people in Disney and Pixar studios who are there for making magic and stuff, but you know, it it's just not the same. Or maybe maybe we've all just grown up. Again, I think I might just dedicate an entire episode to Disney cuz we got to wrap things up. I've been talking for a long time. Let's transition that into pretty much a closing statement there are performing perspectives in film writing for example like I said having to make sure the story itself is pretty much perfect you're making sure that whether if you're watching the movie or reading the script you read it start to finish and you're locked on like there's the art of trying to perfect that of course there's acting too like you got to act in the films And even as the director, you gotta perform well, you gotta make sure that everything is set up right, that the way that you're telling the story is told, so way that the audience can understand and enjoy it. Even the smaller parts on film. Like the cameraman, sometimes you gotta rehearse certain shots so that way you can get it correct the first time. I mean, that's usually used for live production, but still it saves time. So yeah, even the smallest parts have performing aspects into it in making a feature length film. So trust me, it none of it's easy. It's all challenging, but it's also really fun in the end. So on that note, I just want to say, you know, keep doing what you love doing, don't push yourself too hard and just enjoy life. You know, sit down, watch a movie, maybe one of the movies I just talked about today that I ranted on about for hours. <laughs> losing track of what I was talking about some of those times I should really start writing scripts for these like like do you really want to listen to like a scripted podcast I don't know like let me know like I don't know if scripted is the way to go I don't know I'm hoping by next episode I have a guest host or like a guest star whatever you want to call it so next episode I'm hoping to have a guest star um And on that note, I wish you a good day and thank you very much for listening and all the support.